Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 339. Today, I want you to go with me on a journey. The journey is going to start in Genesis chapter 14. We're going to continue studying the patriarchal period in Abraham's life, but Abraham comes in contact with what would be a mysterious figure were it not for the clear teaching of the Word of God. And so we're going to look today at an encounter in a place that we know very little about, it seems, although the Bible is pretty clear in presenting this mysterious place and person to us. In Genesis 14, the context is clear. A confederation of kings from north and east near the river Euphrates have come into the valley of the Jordan River. They have come to the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the cities of the plain. And the Bible says that this confederation of kings from the Euphrates has now come in contact with a confederation of kings from the Jordan Valley. And they fought and the kings from the Jordan Valley were defeated. And the spoils of war included Lot and his family, that is, the nephew of Abraham that we've been studying, the key figure of this patriarchal period. And they have now taken them back north and were headed for their homeland when Abraham heard about it. And we're going to pick up on the narrative in the book of Genesis. We'll just begin around verse 11 of chapter 14. And so I want you to follow along because we're going to encounter a man whose name is quoted in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. His name is Melchizedek. And so we're going to begin at verse 11. Then they took, that is, this confederation of kings led by Cater de Omer. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. That is, they went back their way. They had gotten what they wanted, a victory. They had gotten spoils. And they also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and they departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew. By the way, this is the first calling of Abram, a Hebrew. It's from the word Ibri, which means beyond. That is, Abram was from beyond the river. He was on from the, on the other side of the Jordan. Some would say the other side of the Euphrates, but this phrase on the other side of the river could mean Mesopotamia, but I do not believe that it does, simply because in the book of Genesis, as in the book of Joshua and other places, for instance, Joshua 24, when Joshua is at Shechem, which is on the western side of the river, which is called Israel today, he talked about the God and the people on the other side of the river, and that's the River Jordan. And it talks about not just the gods of the Moabites and others, but he goes all the way back 
Lucan talks about Tira and Nahor, the father and brother of Abram, and how they served idols. And so this concept of across the river is primarily the River Jordan in the Bible. So Abram was from across the river. He was from the other side. He was from Mesopotamia, and he was called Ibri. That is the same concept of the Hebrew language, Ivrit. So as we go through this, you're going to see a lot of things begin, I believe, to make sense to you. Then one that escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terabith trees of Mamre. Now Mamre, if you will just search through the book of Genesis, you will see this is identified as Hebron. Now this is a beautiful city on the beautiful patriarchal highway that leads all the way in the north from Shechem, Shechem, down that mountain road, the patriarchal highway as it's called, because it's the high road, kind of like the Blue Ridge Mountains that runs along top of Appalachian Southern Mountains. This is that kind of road, and there's great scenery there. It starts in the north, comes through, as you know, Shiloh and Bethel, and then Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And Hebron is even higher than the mountains of Jerusalem. And it's a beautiful, spectacular place. No wonder Abram settled there. And he goes on to name the Amorite, brother of Eskel and of Aner. And they were allies of Abram. In other words, there at Hebron, that was an Amorite city, which were the people that dwelt there when Abram came. Now, when Abram heard, this is 14, that his brother was taken captive, he armed his three. 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, I'll come back to that in another podcast in the future as far as Dan was given before the name Dan had even come into existence. And so this is an anomaly in the book of Genesis concerning the name Dan. But I don't want us to get sidetracked with that. I just know that some of you will pick up on that. But look how wealthy Abram was. He had 318 trained servants. That's not counting those who were not of age yet that were in his household that were born while they were with him. He divided his forces against them by night. This is a guerrilla tactic. He and his servants and attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Now, the word north here is the word for left. And as I have told you in a previous podcast, left came to be known in Latin as sinestra, that is north, because that is the word for north in the Hebrew language. It's left of, and it's translated many times in our English Bibles to be north, just like kadem of forward is translated east. And remember, this is the idea of facing east from the Mount of Olives or that western ridge from the Jordan Valley, and facing front-wise, you are looking directly east. And so the word for east, there is no word for east except Kadim, which is front. And then if you're facing that way, then right would be south and left would be north. And so you have this translated in our English Bibles, north of Damascus, but it literally means left of Damascus. So he brought back all all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. 
And the king of Sodom, that is the king who had been defeated, went out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Now, I personally believe that this valley of Sheba is the Kidron. Now, the Kidron runs from just north of where the temple complex is, runs parallel with the easternmost hill, which is called the Mount of Olives. But the Mount of Olives is actually three peaks. And if you're looking from the Mount of Olives and you're facing the temple complex, which is on Mount Moriah, you are facing west. And if you turn and face east, you're looking right down 4,000 feet below to the Dead Sea and to Jericho just below you. But what I'm saying is the valley of Kidron runs north to south along the line between Mount Moriah, where the temple is on the west, and and then the Mount of Olives on the east. And if you've ever stayed with me at my headquarters hotel in the city of Jerusalem, you know we stay at the Dan Jerusalem. It used to be the Hyatt Regency. That's who built it. It's about a 500-room hotel. It is right at the mouth of the Kidron Valley, and you are looking due south from its beautiful balconies and porches and verandas. And so this is exactly where we are here. And I believe that as they came down that patriarchal highway, that the king of Sodom came this far and he met Abram there. The Bible says that when they met after his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, so the king of Sodom came that far. Now, it's interesting that immediately we get a new paragraph and it's almost like it's simultaneously happening while this wicked king came to meet Abram and remember that Abram didn't take a thing from any of these folks because he didn't want to be looked upon as being obligated to them. But while he was in that valley right there that I believe is the Kidron, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. You say, well, why do you believe it's the Kidron? Because Salem is Shalem. It is a shalom. It is the city of peace. The city of peace is Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim. It is the city of peace. It's also there where the Canaanite city, the Jebusite city of Zion was. That's T-Z-I-O-N. We just say Zion or Zion, but it's Zion. It's the place of the fortress. It's the place of the stronghold. This is that southernmost tip of that hill that is called Moriah. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But then Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Now, the term Melchizedek comes from Melchi, which is the word for king. Zedek, which is the word for righteousness. And so you have the king of righteousness. That is, that was his name. No doubt had to do with his character. The king of righteousness, who was the king of Salem. So he's called the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Peace, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God Most High, El Elyon, E-L, and that's one word, and that's the word for God. That's the base word for Elohim and so forth. And then you have Elyon, that is Most High. So he says, and he blessed him. 
and said, Blessed be Abram of God, El Elyon, Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, he's the one that owns everything. He is the creator of everything. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. Here was a man who knew Abram's God. He knew the true and living God and knew he was the creator, he was the possessor, he was the owner of everything, and that he was the one that gave him the victory. Well, how did he know that? Because God told him. Why? Because he walked with God. Well, why was he walking with God? You see, this is where we've got to go back to one of the very base principles I've shared with you from the very beginning that I started these podcasts and from the time that God showed me this principle years and years ago. The Bible is a Jewish book. It is written by Jews to Jews, primarily for Jews. I hope you get that in your heart and you can't get it out. The second thing that must go hand in hand with that first statement that the Bible is a Jewish book written by Jews and written to Jews, primarily for Jews, is that every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed, believed, trusted, just assumed it that the people to whom they were writing understood the language, but they understood the historical and geographical setting of the place where they were and of the land that we call the land of Israel, the land of the Bible, the promised land and all of that region and the culture of that day. And so the Bible says, and he, this is the very last sentence in verse 19 of Genesis 14, and he, that is Abram, gave him Melchizedek a tithe of all that God had blessed him with. Now, what in the world was Abraham tithing to this man who was king of Salem, king of righteousness, who lived in Sion, who lived in Mount Moriah? What was he doing? He was honoring God and recognizing that God was the owner of everything, El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. And this is this initial concept of tithing that goes all the way through the Bible. What's the purpose of the tithe? It is to recognize that God owns everything and everything you and I have comes from the hand of the possessor of heaven and earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What is a tithe? A tithe is an acknowledgement that God owns everything. In the book of Deuteronomy, it is looked upon in chapter 14 as a way to say thank you. This is what Abram was doing. Abram was saying, I want to honor God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He's all powerful. He's all mighty. And he gave me this victory. And so since he owns everything, I'm going to give him a tenth just to say thank you. And he gave that of everything he had out of everything God had given him. In the book of Deuteronomy 14, it's looked upon as a way to say thank you, not just to acknowledge that God owns everything, but also it's a way to say thank you. Listen, God has laid out a tithe as a way for us to learn to fear God, to give God his rightful place. What is his rightful place? It is that he is the possessor of heaven and earth. He's the creator of all things. He owns everything. And this is the way that we acknowledge him and say thank you. And so this is what Abram was doing. He was acknowledging God and he was giving to this priest who was also a king and was serving the most high God. Now, this is fascinating. 
Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said unto him, to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. You see, this is the same language that Melchizedek had just used. And Abram said, I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you say I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten, that is, the expenses of the trip, and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now, this is an amazing thing because it is right after this when Abram met Melchizedek at what I believe is Jerusalem and Moriah that we come to within a very short period of time, God saying, Lot is not going to be the one that is going to be your heir, but I am going to make a covenant with you. And because you understand that I can do anything, that I am the creator, that I am the possessor of heaven and earth, and you've acknowledged acknowledge that by granting me tithe and you have blessed me by blessing Melchizedek, my priest and the king of Zion, which is in the land of Moriah, then I am going to cut a covenant with you. And that's what we find him doing in chapter 15. Now, it's interesting when you come to chapter 22, and I'll, I'll be brief here because I know time is running short. I want to just brief say to you that this is why when you come to chapter 22 and after God has miraculously given a son to an old woman and an old man, I mean supernaturally, God brought about Isaac, that he said now it came to pass, chapter 22, after these things, that God tested Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, because they had changed his name from exalted father to Abraham, to the father of many nations, he said, here am I. And he said, take now your son, that single solitary son, that's the word, Yitzhak, the one that you love, the one that you have strong feelings for, and the one that I gave you, and offer him. Well, he said, first of all, and go to the land of Moriah. Now, let me just close with this, Moriah. What in the world does that mean, Moriah? It's not Moriah, and that's okay to say Moriah. It's okay to say that. That's the, we place the long I there. But the Hebrew word is Moriah, and the reason is, is because Moriah is, a compound word. Ra'ah means to see. It's R-A-A-H. Ra'ah. That's the base word for see. It's a root word. Then you have the word Yah. If you want to see this word in its essence, you can turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 68 and verse 4, and you will see there that the psalmist says that we are to extol God. That is, we are to praise God. God, sing his praises, and he is the one who rides upon the clouds. His name is Yah, Y-A-H, Moriah, the one who is exalted above all, Yah. And so Moriah means the place or to see God, the place where God will be seen, the place where God will show himself. That is the hill 
of which the southernmost tip of that hill, which is surrounded by three valleys, the southernmost part of that hill is Sion, where it used to be called Salem, Shalem. It is now Yerushalem, and it is also the place that was called the Jebusite stronghold, which David's general Joab climbed up through the tunnel from the Gihon Springs and the shaft and conquered the city. And it became David's city. It's still called the city of David today. And they have uncovered it. And I hope you can go with me to see it. But now listen to me. This is very important. On top of that hill, to the north of the city of Sion, where Melchizedek, I believe, would have lived, there was a flat top, and that flat top of that hill was a threshing floor. That threshing floor was owned by Jebusite even unto the day of King David, and that is where the angel of the Lord spared Jerusalem, and that's where David pleaded for mercy, and there on Moriah the very same place where in Genesis 22 that God had spared the life of Yitzhak, his miraculous gift to Abram and Sarah, and he had provided a substitute there. That is the very place, Moriah, where God showed himself strong and providing and that he sees everything from that place. This is exactly where now David, a thousand years from the time of the binding of Isaac, that he bought this threshing floor. And once again, after Solomon built that temple, the glory of God filled the place, the fire of heaven came down, and there was an absolute miraculous manifestation of God so strongly that people had to leave. Why? Because the Shekinah, the glory of God, the manifest glory of God came and covered that mountaintop, Moriah, and there is where he was seen. Just very briefly, a thousand years later, Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, crossed the crest of the eastern hill called the Mount of Olives. He rode a donkey into the city, and he walked in that temple, and it was there that God manifest in the flesh a thousand years later, showed once again that he is indeed the possessor of heaven and earth. And he walked on earth as a man. And at the northernmost part of that tabletop, there is a rocky face that has eroded from the place where Solomon's quarry had been made to build that beautiful temple a thousand years earlier. And it was there that they took the Lord Jesus after a mock trial. And they, on the northern side of the city, outside the city gate, just like that was a huge altar looking down from space. Yes, it was on the northern side of the altar that the atonement was made. That's where the sacrifices were made, on the northern side of the altar where the blood was shed. And the Bible says it was there that the Son of God hung between heaven and earth as though he were not fit for either because the perfect Son of God had taken on your sins and mine as a substitute 
Institute. And there, in a place nearby, almost within a stone's throw, they took his body down and laid in the tomb of a man from Arimathea named Joseph. And they rolled a stone in front of it, put guards on it, sealed it, And three days later, the Son of God came out, and the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Now, it's an amazing thing because we have already been 2,000 years later. But one day, the prophet Zechariah says the Messiah will come from heaven. His feet will touch down on that eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says that he will come across, set up his kingdom on Mount Moriah. And there, all of the earth will come to see the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And they will see Mount Moriah the Son of God sitting as King of the universe, El Elyon, the creator and the possessor of heaven and earth. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.